Hey guys, it's Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. Um, I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, and I certainly hope y'all are going out there and buying it. Um, let's start off this week with, you know what, with gratitude. I want to thank you all for making my last couple of episodes such a hit. They were experiments for me as I was learning how to use my new you know, recording equipment to go. And I had so much fun interviewing women at the Women's March and at the inauguration. And we've had more downloads than ever on these episodes. I also want to thank Sarah Bowenshay from Another Mother Runner for spreading the word about common sense pregnancy and parenting. It's good to have friends, isn't it? Um, I got a lot of great responses about my trip to DC. And I, I got to say, it was such a overwhelming experience, so incredibly positive. And I just, I came away from a weekend that I know so many people struggled with. Um, I struggled too. I'm not comfortable with the direction that our government is leading at all. But during that weekend, I was just surrounded by people that were committed and dedicated and passionate and doing their thing. And, um, was one of those proud to be an American moments. So that was great that I had a great experience. Um, But you know what, it's good to be back home. And I'm finally digging out from under and I'm pulling some email questions out of the inbox today. And we're going to get a couple of those answered. And let's see what else is going on. Well, on the current events front, um, there's some studies coming out that are pertinent to us. I saw one that just made me shake my head. And it it is a study that says that most women don't value hospital C-section rates when they're choosing where to give birth. Um, now, that just drives me crazy because what we know is that it's not so much the patient and it's not even so much the doctor that determines who needs the C-section, but it's the hospital. You know, there have been all of these studies that have shown that the hospital that you deliver in has what we call a culture of care. And if in their culture of care, doing C-sections is the expected normal thing to do, well, then they have higher C-section rates, even on normal healthy women, even if the same woman and the same doctor were at a different hospital five miles away, where their culture of care is that you don't do so many C-sections. It's about the hospital, folks. Now, Neil Shaw, Dr. Neil Shaw, um, who was here with us at Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting on episode 55 back in November, he was the lead researcher on this study. And he says that even though the hospital where a woman gives birth may be her biggest risk factor for having an unnecessary C-section, women don't seek information about C-section rates for their hospitals. For their hospitals, Instead, it's all about their choice of obstetrician. They pick an obstetrician um, that they like, which that's great. We want you to do that. Um, but they'll follow that obstetrician anywhere he or she goes, even if where he or she delivers is a high C-section rate hospital. 
And the study further found that many women don't look at C-section rates or other quality metrics at all because they don't think it has any bearing on the care that they personally will receive. Oh, you guys, there's just so much to say about that. What have we been talking about all this time? You have to be smart consumers. You have to look at your maternal health care as a professional service, kind of like you would a plumber or electrician. Now, most of us are going to check reviews and prices and recommendations before we hire someone to come into our home and do repairs. I mean, we're going to check out Yelp before we get something replaced on our car. We look for consumer reports information on anything that we purchase. Um, So why aren't we giving our bodies and our birth experiences the same level of, you know, respect? We have to be smart consumers. And that means being very smart about where we give birth, what the hospital's safety ratings and C-section ratings are. And then you find out, well, where else does your doctor or midwife deliver? You know, I know doctors who have privileges at two or three area hospitals. At one his hospital, the C-section rate might be nice and low. At another, it's super high. And doctors are going to practice to meet the culture of care at each hospital. And that means he might do more surgeries at one than another because he's expected to and supported to. Do your homework. Find out what's going on at your hospital before you sign up to deliver there. And don't go in thinking it can't happen to me. You know, I won't be one. So many women think, well, I'm not going to be the one who gets an unnecessary C-section. I'm not going to worry about it. You guys, it can totally happen to you. One out of three births is done by C-section. One out of three. That could be you if you don't do your homework. One out of three isn't necessary. So, okay, enough of that rant, enough of that rant. That just really, you guys, we got to do our homework. Let's shift gears. Let's open some email, shall we? Um, Let's see, I got a really uh, a worried one from Anne. And she says, hi, Jeannie, I'm currently 34 weeks pregnant. And I've had genital herpes for a very long time. My OBGYN doesn't seem too worried about it. And it'll put and will put me on suppressive therapy at 36 weeks so I can deliver vaginally. As a nurse, have you ever had any patients with this condition? If so, what was the outcome with regards to the health of the baby? This problem has kept me from enjoying my pregnancy as I think about it 24-7. Thank you for your time, Anne. Oh, Anne, you're thinking about this 24-7, and yet you really don't have to. Have I ever had patients with this condition? Honey, I have had hundreds of patients with this condition. Genital herpes is ridiculously common. You know, so many women have it. And it sounds like your OBGYN is right on top of it. Um, I wouldn't change anything about it. If you're going to take suppressive, use suppressive therapy, that means you're going to take some medication that keeps the herpes virus so low that you won't get an outbreak. Now, that's what you're worried about, getting an outbreak during birth. Um, If there is a herpes lesion at the time that the baby passes through the birth canal, then there's there's a chance that your baby could develop herpes. But if you are on suppressive therapy, the chances that you will have an outbreak are very low. 
So if you don't have an outbreak, your baby's not going to get herpes from you. Now, what happens if you do suppressive therapy and still you have an outbreak and you go into labor and you you know that you've got something going there? Well, then you have a C-section. That's a really good reason to have a C-section. If you have an active herpes lesion at the time of delivery, you don't want your baby in contact with that because that can cause herpes for the baby and it can be very, very serious in newborns. But if you're on suppressive therapy, it's probably not going to happen that way. You're probably going to be just fine and you can have a vaginal delivery and you and your baby will do just great. So I hope that that is a little bit helpful for you, Anne. It's common. Your OBGYN is doing what he or she is supposed to be doing. The chances are very good that you can deliver vaginally. If you can't, you'll have a C-section and chances are very good. You're going to be fine. And so is your baby. So take that to heart and try not to worry. Do the best you can anyway. I'll be thinking about you. Okay, we got another one here from Jamie. Hi, I just read an article on your blog about bacterial vaginosis or BV and saw at the end of the article that I could email you with any questions. So here are my questions. How the hell do I get rid of BV or keep it at bay? (laughs) I'm not kidding when I say I've tried literally everything under the sun. Flagell, clindamycin vaginal, which then causes yeast in my vagina, the whole nine. And I am quite literally at my wit's end. I'm currently trying to conceive. I lost two pregnancies already, the last of which was 11 and a half weeks. And I did have nasty infections the whole darn time, which just really makes me think I'm not fit to even carry a baby. But anyway, currently trying, and I get BV every time we have sex without a condom. Well, kind of need to have not have a condom when we're trying to conceive. Anyway, any tips or anything you can possibly offer me in terms of advice would be well appreciated. Sincerely, a deeply troubled chronic BV sufferer. Oh, Jamie, this sounds so frustrating. I feel so bad for you. So it sounds like you are doing, you know, everything you need to do from a medical perspective. I love that you're using oral probiotics, vaginal probiotics. You even say that you're using yogurt up my vagina, everything. You are really doing your best, and I really appreciate that effort. So what I'm going to recommend is that you go get the support of a naturopathic physician. I want you to make an appointment for a consultation and go in there with a you know, like a four or five page diet journal of everything that you're eating and drinking. Now, don't go into this thinking, oh, I'm going to eat super, super clean so that I've got a super squeaky clean journal and the naturopath will be really impressed. Don't. Just, you know, eat what you eat, write it down, take it with you. Now, a naturopath is a doctor. Um, What the way that they differ between a medical doctor is that medical doctors you know, they prescribe the flagell and the clindamycin, and um, they're going to try to attack a disease through a pharmaceutical approach. So what a naturopath does is they're going to try to fight the disease by boosting everything else in your body that will keep you well. It'll 
the naturopath will take a look at, you know, your lifestyle, your diet, your exercise habits, all the things that make the body healthy, and then we'll give you some really solid good advice on how to boost your immune system so that you can kick BV. Um, It sounds like you're really kind of open to that based on the fact that you've been using probiotics and, you know, yogurt in the vagina and the whole nine, as you put it. But I want you to get some personalized support. So find a naturopathic physician in your area. Um, I'd kind of recommend a woman just because I feel like she might be more sensitive to your needs and go have a good consultation. I'd also recommend that your partner do the same thing because Though what's happening is that the bacterial colonies in your vagina are, you know, you've got some that are dominant in creating infection, and you've got some that are um, not strong enough, and they're allowing other bacteria to create infection. But your partner may have some issues too. There may be bacteria that he is introducing to you that then, you know, overbuilds colonies. So the two of you need to go in and just find out what do you need to do to get the whole rest of the body healthy, strong, and able to fight disease. It might be something super simple. I have a friend that um, was dealing with this. And for her, um, she was actually, she ate super clean. She exercised. She did everything she was supposed to do. Um, she had two bad habits. She was into Diet Coke and she was a smoker. And the naturopath gave her a lot of support to be able to um, let those habits go. And I don't know, maybe it's coincidental, maybe it's not, but um, her bacterial vaginosis went away. She was able to conceive. A lot of other aches and pains and lung and health issues went away. Um, and she correlates it with Uh, going to the naturopath and getting support. So Jamie, that is what I'm going to recommend to you. Um, And I I really wish you well. I hope it works. Um, Okay, well, guys, let's get to this week's guest. Um, This week, we're going to talk to Betsy Schwartz about doula care, specifically in the postpartum period. So let's get Betsy on the phone. Hi, Betsy. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks. I am. Um, we are totally snowed in here in Portland. We got a foot of rain or snow overnight, and we're getting snow all day today. So outside my window is heaps and heaps of really fluffy white stuff. <laughs> okay. Can't say the same. I'm in Florida. So, so tell me what it's like. I'm dreaming of sunshine. Tell me about it. Yeah. It's actually a little cloudy right now. Um, cool this morning, probably 40s, 50s. It, it's, it's probably in the 70s. I haven't been out for a couple hours, but it's warming up. All right. Well, Betsy, let's get to it. I want to read your bio, and then um, let's start talking. So... Betsy Schwartz began her career in 1991, working for one of the oldest postpartum doula services in the country. In 1994, she established 10th Month Doula Services, the first of its kind in South Florida. She's a founding member of the Coalition for Improving Maternity Services. Her most recent 
accomplishment is the creation and publication of Down the Canal, The Game of Birth. She has an online classroom for birth workers at birthelearning.teachable.com. Betsy is actively involved in community collaboration as part of the Citrus Committee of the Florida Healthy Babies Initiative. She holds a master's degree in management of human services, was a DONA postpartum doula trainer for 14 years. She's a certified postpartum doula, a Reiki 3 practitioner, yoga enthusiast, and she's active in transformational work through gratitude training. Wow, Betsy, we have a lot to talk about just reading your bio. (laughs) I know, I'm like, oh, is that me? Oh, yeah, it is me. That is you. So let's start out with our first question. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, who am I? Interesting. Um, Sometimes I answer that with um, I am love and light, Mm. first and foremost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And um, I uh, have devoted my career uh, to new families, um, primarily, you know, once the baby has um, been born, I've devoted my my life to that. Uh, that support and teaching others to support. Um, and so, most recently, as you had read off my bio, uh, I created a board game about birth for educating uh, all about the options of birth. So that's a nutshell version. (laughs) That is, yeah. So I think we should probably start out by describing what it means to be a doula. You know, I I have people ask me, you know, what exactly a doula is. And I think that in, you know, urban pockets of the country, people know. um, But in huge areas, they don't. And they'll ask, you know, a doula, it's like a midwife, right? Well, no, not exactly. It's like a labor nurse, right? No, not exactly. Labor coach. No, not quite. So why don't why don't we describe it? Okay, so um, a doula is is the non medical support person, and um, that would be for birth and and after birth, really. Um, so it's a doula provides information, emotional support, physical comfort, but. Also, doulas are there to maybe ease a somewhat chaotic or what could be a chaotic situation or circumstance. And so doulas really, I know this might sound, um, I don't know, generic or or broad, but they hold space for the woman in the family. What does that mean? So yeah, exactly. What does that mean? Right? Because I hear that a lot. Yeah. So it's really, um, it's up to the doula to really be a presence, you know, to to be there. So, you know, there's a lot of doing this with doulas. I know my, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Pascali Bonaro, refers to that with, you know. Sure. Being, you know. Yeah, I know Deborah. A doula rather than a doula. You know Deb? Yeah. 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 So um, I like that, that we get to be rather than do. So much. Does that make sense? Well, I think we're still pretty broad spectrum here, and I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to clarify it in terms of um, tasks, skills, services. Okay. Gotcha. 
Okay, so um, doulas uh, get to be great at listening. Um, doulas uh, know their resources, so they can be there for the family throughout the process of pregnancy, which involves education, throughout the birth, being there as um, a physical support, mm -hmm. um, engaging a husband or partner in the process. Um, you know, perhaps, um, you know, using a tennis ball for massage or what have you during the, during the birth, um, where I focus most of my career on after birth, mm -hmm. um, that involves, um, definitely, um, an extra pair of hands for the new, the new mom and family. So you're pitching in with, um, support perhaps with another uh, child. Perhaps you're bringing, you know, mom a meal. She hasn't eaten and, you know, she doesn't, can't remember how long. And she's breastfeeding, so you're supporting her with the breastfeeding. So for postpartum care, there's a, there's a lot of, of doing. So are you talking about, can I ask, are you talking about in the immediate postpartum period in the hospital, or are you talking about um, once she's home? Pretty much once she's at home. So within a say what, one to three days after birth, uh -huh. and she could have given birth at home, so she could already be home, but yeah, yeah. primarily in that, you know, starting then. Got it. So in, it's sort of like the the job that, you know, someone's mother might provide, or a community of women would provide. They'd come in and just take care of all of the the home business, the breastfeeding business, the learning how to be a new mama business. Yes. Yes, we, we used to have the village, and we don't have the village anymore. Um, so now we have doulas. Yeah. And, you know, we don't replace the mother or the sister, but, but we're going to act as if we were. Yeah. Do you think we really don't have the village anymore, or do you think we just don't, you know, back in the village model, there was always you know, one or two women who were experts in, you know, anything having to do with birth or the postpartum period. And maybe they were, you know, traditional birth attendants or an unlicensed midwife. Um, but there was always the mama. And to me, there's, it seems to me that a doula is providing, you know, maybe more specialized services that the woman's mother isn't going to provide or wouldn't provide as comfortably. Yes. Yeah, so um, from my experience um, and, and all the people that I've worked with, there's been some instances where these new mothers sadly do not want their mothers around. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. Which is really sad. Um, it happens. On the other hand, there just could be information that perhaps that, you know, the mom's mom, doesn't know, like say for, about breastfeeding, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where she just may not have breastfed and, and doesn't know how to support that. Right, right. Um, can you tell me a little bit about doula training? Sure. Um, well, you know, I look back and when I started, there was no certification. So I like to say these days, it's not really rocket science, although there is a lot to know. <laughs> That's my my latest twist on it. Um, so there are many, many um, organizations now that are certifying doulas both for, both for birth and postpartum. 
And what I would say is that I'm completely on board with training, as I've been a trainer for many years, that um, it's great for people that are interested in dueling to learn all they can about really what it, what it involves. Um, and then getting out there and you know, shadowing another dueler, you know, being with other doulas and really learning and immersing is really when it's going to come together. On so the job training. It, yeah. You know, like that works with most everything. Um, and I like to say that the training is a springboard. Most trainings are three, maybe some are five days. You know, there's some that are more involved. Um, so it's really that springboard. And then I always, um, when I teach, I'm always telling my students, wherever you're at, just keep going. Like if it's breastfeeding, you need to know more on, go for it. You know, the book, find another class, keep on learning. It's kind of a never ending so journey. Is there, but there isn't any kind of nat- national certification that's required well, there are national certification programs, uh-huh. but there, there's not a, um, you know, a licensure. So I think it may vary. I, I know with birth doulas, there are some hospitals requiring certain certifications just to be able to serve in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But um, there's actually no requirements set forth by any governmental bodies or licensing bodies or anything like that. You know, you you mentioned that you began your career in the early '90s, and when I was working as I was working as a labor nurse during that time, and um, I think during those years I was still in Los Angeles. So there, doulas were around, but you know, not in a hospital setting, not in a, really not um, routinely. It was very unusual, even throughout the 90s. And, you know, I was primarily working in the birth setting. So when we did see one, I think that there was, um, you know, there was sometimes some conflict with the medical team, because at that time in doula history, it was confrontational. You know, it, it was sometimes difficult to integrate a doula's point of view into the hospital setting. And I and I think throughout the you know next 10 years or so it became a lot more commonplace and people understood uh, each other better. I think that my one thing that that comes to mind is that since there isn't a licensure or a path to licensing so that we know the doula in the room really knows her stuff I wonder if we're going to continue to have that kind of conflict between the traditional medical setting and um, alternative practitioners. What do you think of that? That's a great question. Um, And, uh, you know, as things unfold, I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll be seeing more. Um, So there is, um, there are two schools of thought, you know, I know among doulas. Um, some saying, you know, yeah, it's time for a national, uh, uniform education certification and then maybe perhaps a licensure. There's another school of thought where people are saying, 
no, you know, we're, we're independent people. We're, our clients are hiring us because, you know, they want us there. They know us. They have a rapport with us where, you know, it doesn't involve that. So there's, there's, two, there's two schools of thought on it. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like from my experience and, and my perspective is that um, I believe that the training is really as good as the, as the, the trainer and then, the, you know, the certifying organization that follows up. However, I definitely can see how, you know, in the hospital setting with medical professionals um, and, and doulas where they're, they have a very different role. So I, I, I say that there's still a way to, um, you know, bridge that gap and some of that conflict that everybody understands the different roles that each has. And, you know, doulas, um, you know, are there for the person that hires them, mm-hmm. being the, you know, the mom, dad, the couple, um, and it's whatever their wishes are. So mm-hmm. um, doulas is not to, you know, kind of overstep those bounds. And it's tricky. I mean, I know it's tricky at times. Yeah. What are the biggest challenges that you help women overcome as a doula? Again, I want to um, let you know that my primary focus has been on after birth. Right. I, mean, I have been a birth doula at right. times in my life, but I'm going to focus on that part. Great. So many challenges to overcome during that time, right? Right. So for the new mommy, like yeah. newborn in hand, right? Yeah. Home, um, milk coming in, may have some challenges there, um, may have a partner that's around, maybe not, maybe working all the time. Um, I think for, for new moms settling into motherhood, I think the, the biggest challenge is for that new mother to realize that her full-time, let's call it a job, but her full-time, <laughs> uh, hours spent is on getting to know that newborn baby. And it is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A full-time job on, on top of feeling sore and exhausted and staying up all night and possibly having other children and home responsibilities and healing. Yeah. It's a big gig. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's a big gig. And we, and, you know, there's a lot out there that says, Oh, you know, new mother is so great and happy and joyous. And it is. Mm-hmm. And it isn't always that way. And, it, and especially in the early days and, uh, you know, we could do all the preparation we want to, but until we're in it, you know, until you're really in it. Right. Um, and experiencing it, it you know, it's, it's a whole different story. So. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, part of the conversation that I have uh, on both a national and an international level is the question of affordability. And I was... Uh, speaking with someone in the Netherlands not too long ago, where a doula is just, it's just part of your national health service. The doula comes to your house after you have the baby, again, if you had didn't already have the baby there. And, you know, she might stay for three hours a couple times a day for a while, a week, two weeks. And it's just assumed that that's a service you're going to get and nobody ever concerns about the price. Um, here in the U.S., 
I think that we're seeing an increase in, you know, like some women who qualify for low-income maternal health services can get community service doulas, and we're seeing more of that. And then some women who can afford private pay can get doulas. But what do women who live in the kind of in the middle do to afford doula care here in the U.S.? Well, I want to start by saying they do they do a lot of things right in the Netherlands. <laughs> so many things, things, yeah. They're always top yeah. of the list. So many things. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we don't we don't have a uh, you know a national health care system, and um, I know that there are many um, community doula programs and um, you know people that um, are working you know off of grants and things like that. But I mean, let's just face it. I mean, it would be ideal if every woman had a doula. And if, if money is one of the factors, you know, not everyone's going to be able to have a doula. Right. I mean, I, as much as I'd love to I mean, is it possible? Yes. Um, and I think it, it requires a lot of shift in our thinking and how we, how we even approach birth and motherhood. We don't support it in this country. Right. Birth is a big business, but our outcomes are not pretty. Right. And... So there's a lot of flaws in the system. So at this point, women really just have to be either able to pay for it themselves or there are there are some insurance policies that will pay for it partially. Do, do, are you aware of any national legislation going on to make doula care eligible or mandatory for insurance reimbursement? I know 